0: Welcome to the Epiphany Movement Podcast. To learn more about the Epiphany Movement, visit us online at epiphanymovement.com. Today's talk comes from Pastor Drake Nelson and is a continuation of the series, Are You Able to Relate? pray for everybody that's here today, every individual that is represented here today, I pray that you would feel them, that you would remove distractions, that you would enter into them. I pray, God, more than anything, that somehow I would get out of the way so that you could speak through me so badly this morning. I know that I fall short, that I'm a failure at this whole thing called communicating the gospel. I can't do it, but God, I know that you can do it through me so God just use me in that way I pray that you would open the eyes and open the ears so that your word can be received because your word is alive and active and so God I pray that you would just bring it alive in me God in your name I pray amen and amen I'm excited particularly I'm excited about today's sermon because it's it's. Because it's coming straight from Scripture. I think a lot of times we as pastors can come up with this good idea, and we can kind of use Scripture to kind of, you know, go along with our really good idea. Like, Whatever, whatever, and that's not a bad thing, that's a good thing. But today, I, you, it's coming straight from the Bible, and I needed it to be this way because what I'm gonna talk about, it could be offensive to some people, and it's a weighty topic. Do you know what I mean? It's a weighty topic, and so I said, I just want to use the Bible that way. If someone maybe has a problem with it, you can just take it up with my boss. Because sermons, many of them are different, but it's a weighty thing to speak into someone's life. It's a weighty thing. And we've been in this series called Relatable. And by the way, I just want to go ahead on the record and saying this. I, I need something from you this morning. And what I need from you, I need you to be alive and active this morning. So if I preach something that is like you agree with, then you can say amen. If I. Read something or say something, or let me say that back. If God says something through me that maybe changes your life, you can cry, you can raise a hand. I believe that, like I said, that this word, and we're going to look a lot this morning at this word, I believe it's alive and active. And all I'm asking is that we are, as we receive God's word, alive and active as well. And we're not dead and passive. And so if you feel something or if you agree with God, then just let him, let him know. And let me know because it helps me out a lot my sermons are much better when we preach them together. We've been in this series called "Relatable." In the first day, do you remember this? We built the fence up here, courtesy to Mr. Sandy and Miss Becky. And we said, "Came along with this idea: to be handed an offense is an is an event. To be handed an offense is an." Event, that is life, but to live offendedly, that is not an event, that is a decision that you make, to live offendedly, to where somebody says something and it offends me and I live, oh, they're just offending me, they're just saying, to live that way is a decision that each one of us make, or we choose not to make it, hopefully the latter and so once these fences of offense get built in our relationships whether that's a spousal relationship or a family relationship or a friend relationship when those offenses come and the fence gets built up and it separates a husband and a wife how do you go about dealing with it in three ways we discovered A. through communication we don't need to have unexpressed expectations we don't need to have unmet expectations right? Mr. Uh, Ms. Linda Kay, Randy I've used example every time to go with it again. Randy can't read your mind, right? So tell Randy, um, you know, I, I just need you to. to I, I just need you to tell me that you love me every now and then. Randy, what you did it really offended me. I just want you to know, Randy, take me out to eat, and we are going to the gathering in Canton. Get in the car. I'll be ready in 30 minutes. Take me out. Right? You need to. Tell, we need to communicate our expectations to other people. And when someone offends us, we need to communicate that. Not only that, but we don't need to gunny sack. We don't need to stuff, 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 stuff our problems and what we have until one day we just explode, explode. Drake, have you taken a breath yet? One. Just now. When we don't need to stuff. Thirdly, we said once we communicate it and once we discuss it, we don't gunny sack it, what else do we need to do? We need to learn to... Drop it. Thank you so much, Mr. David. Yes, Woo. we need to learn to drop it, and we can do that. Why? Because we have a Savior who dropped all of our offenses. And then last week we discovered this. We said that we have family trees. We have different family trees, and maybe we come from a divorced family, or a mixed family, or a blended family, or a deaf family, or whatever it is. That's. No families are perfect. Do you remember this? No family is perfect. And not only that, but sometimes our families and our genetics can hand us down certain DNA. Or worry, or fear, or an addiction, or laziness, or whatever it is, they hand us this down. And But we can, as Christians, we can step back and say, I know I come from this family and that's okay, and also, I know, I'm excited today, also, I know that they've given me this, but guess what, I have a brand new family tree that I can look up to, and so it is no more about mommy and daddy, or it is no more about this, it's just it's not 23 in me it's just three in me it's God the Father God the Son and the Holy Spirit that is who is in my family tree and so the dab of spit it's real but the drop of blood is even more real amen and so today we want to talk about enemies enemies and just as you have different types of sermons like those who are all the all, all, The last two sermons have been topical, okay? They've been topical sermons. Today it's going to be just like straight into the word, straight into the word, not topical. Just as you have different types of sermons, you have different types of enemies. Ultimately, you have the enemy. Scripture says this, we fight not against flesh and blood, but of principalities and rulers of the unseen world. The Bible also says this, the enemy seeks to steal, kill, and he prowls around like a roaring lion. So we have that enemy, but we also have, I didn't know how to phrase this, but we also have other people who can become our enemy. And in this, you have some people who put the mask on and they pretend to be your friend. They pretend to be your friend. Hey, Mr. Randy. But really, they are no friend whatsoever. They are your enemy. And to your face hey how are you but behind your back they're undermining you they're just adding fuel to the fire they're stirring things up and they're working from the back and they pretend to be your friends to your face but actually they're your enemy in reality And and why why is this I think because of this this is what I've discovered because you make them feel insecure And then their insecurity is masked by confidence. And then their confidence is drawn out through fear. And as a result, fraudulent, two-faced individuals come to whether you're a friend to your face, but to your back. They're your enemy. And then thirdly, I, I, I thought, well... Also, you have uh, and this is the third, you have Goliath or your enemy. So you can take this to whatever you want. Maybe it's a sin that's come up against you, maybe it's another person, maybe it's somebody shouting, defying God's will in your life. You have Goliath. But 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 let's 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 go from there and let's look specifically at the Bible, what it what it says. And so here, look, go to Luke. Luke chapter 6. Luke chapter 6. I'll read this. And I got a lot, right, so I'm not going to wait for you to turn to every scripture. Um, but I'm going to turn to every scripture, and I'm pretty slow, so you can probably beat me there. Verse 27. It says this: I got six verses in the Bible that talk about your love for your enemies. Here, here's the first one. It says this: But to, but to you who are willing to listen, I say, I say this. Love your enemies. Do good to those who hate you. Or some of your translations say, who persecute you. Bless those who curse you and pray for those who hurt you. If someone slaps you on the cheek, offer the other cheek also. If someone demands your coat, offer your shirt. Give to anyone who asks. And when things are taken away from you, do not try to get them back. Do to others what you would like them to do to you. And this is totally contrary to what we have. Me and Kat was having a conversation the other day, Catherine Moultrie, no, I'm just kidding, Catherine Nelson, my wife, and we were having a conversation the other day, and I simply asked Kat a simple question. What is your biggest fear? Do you remember what you told me? what's your biggest fear? She said, my biggest fear is to my whole life in pursuit of one thing, in pursuit of God, and the way I go about relating myself to God, to live my whole life pursuing this man I call God, and to the get to the end of what I call life, and realize that my whole pursuit was wrong, that I pursued him in the wrong way, and instead of saying, well done my good and faithful servant, he says something much different to me, not because I didn't try, but because I didn't no, and that's so true and I had that same fear and I was thinking about it like this many times we have this idea that when someone comes against us, it's okay for us to retaliate if they have a different belief system if they don't like us if they gossip about us if they stab us in the back we think it's totally acceptable to turn around and just give them the favor give them the business, right? But that is totally contrary to what Scripture teaches to love your enemies. And in Matthew six, it says this: What reward is you actually? No, it is six. It says this. um, No, it's five. Forgive me. It's five. It says this: If, if, if you know, do you expect to get a gift from someone who is who who loves you? What reward is there for only loving those who love you? How are you any different from the tax collectors? And if you're only nice to those who are nice to you and only love those who love you, then how are you even different from the pagans? Instead, love those who hate you. And that's what we are called to do to our enemies because they are real in our life, but we are called to love them anyways. And that's hard to say because it's easy not to do, but it's what the Bible claims that we must do. Love those who are against us. Secondly, we have this. Romans 12. Romans 12. I'm so excited about this verse. Romans 12. It says this. Verse 17. Never pay back evil with more evil. Never do that. Do things in such a way... That everyone can see you are honorable. Romans 12, verse 18 now. Do all that you can to live at peace with everyone. Dear friends, never take revenge. Leave that to the righteous anger of God. For the scripture say, I will take revenge. I will pay them back, says the Lord. Instead, if your enemies are hungry, feed them. If they're thirsty, give them some water. In doing this, you will heat burning coals on top of their head, which I love because it's like, okay, you want me to um, be nice to them? But in doing that, I'm going to just throw coals on top of their head? Okay, here. In doing this, you will heat burning coals of shame on their heads. Verse 21, don't let evil conquer you, but conquer evil by doing good. And I think I can summarize this whole thing by saying this, by saying this. Are you ready for this, Miss Melanie? You don't have to show up to every fight you are invited to. You don't have to show up to every fight that you are invited to, so your enemy comes against you, and you don't have to show up to that. Next verse we got is this: it's Matthew ten, verse thirty-four through thirty-six. I'm not going to go there. You don't have to go there. I'm just going to read basically what it says. It's this idea of enemies being in your own household, and I'll just turn to it. So I don't. I don't want to. I don't want to paraphrase it, I'll give it to you in this exact wordage. Um, 10.34 says this. Don't imagine, Matthew ten verse 34 don't imagine that I have come to bring peace to the earth. I have not come to bring peace, but a sword. I have come to set a man against his father, a daughter against her mother, a daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law. Your enemies will be inside your own household. And I thought, how many times is that the case for us, that our biggest enemies are living on the other side of the wall? But then I read in Matthew 13 about the last days and the end times. And in Matthew 13, verse 2, it says this, Brother will defy brother to death. And then I kept reading, I believe it in 1 John, uh, it's in First John, Someone, it says this, If you claim that you um, love the Lord, but yet you hate your brother, you are a liar and the truth is not in you. Is that 1 John 4 2? Y'all know first John, I think it's first John 4 2, and it says this, if you claim to love God, but yet you hate your brother, then the love of God is not in you. And here this he is saying that in the last days this is what will happen, right? So then I thought, well, there are some people in here that were like abused by a family member. Someone did them extreme wrong. And I said, how do you, how do you handle that as a, as a family member? When someone has like verbally or physically abused me or come against me in a way, and there will be no restoration, can the Bible tell us anything about that? And it can. In Genesis uh, 32, I think, Genesis 32, it says this. Genesis 31, forgive me. It says, um, I'll turn there. It's, it's the story of Jacob. And it's Jacob and his father-in-law, um, Uh, And Jacob and Levin, Jacob has worked seven years to marry Levin's daughter. Do you know who the daughter is? It's Rachel and who? Leah. But he's thinking, I'm going to marry Rachel. So he worked seven years to marry Rachel. And the father-in-law, Levin, does something really um, conniving. He says, Leah, go marry Jacob, Rachel, you stay there. And he sends Leah. So he wasted seven years of his life not to, ma- to marry the woman of his dreams, but yet yeah, it was connived against, and he ended up marrying someone totally different. So he worked seven more years and ended up marrying Rachel so he works 14 years now and he has married Rachel he works another 7 years This put just that 21 years and at the end of 21 years Jacob says to his father-in-law he says hey look I've worked for you 14 years to marry you two daughters I didn't even want to marry Leah but whatever whatever I guess I'm here and now I've worked 7 more years and you have all this wealth all this money all these cows all this land all of everything you have I've done for you and Jacob says and I don't want nothing in return and Levin looks back at Jacob and he says ask anything I'll give it to you ask anything and I'll give it to you because you're right and Jacob says just let me have any cow with a spot or a blemish and Levin says okay you can have any cow with any spot or any blemish that's fine you can do that and that night Levin took all of his cows the spots or blemish and he gave them to his sons and so when Jacob went out the next morning to look at all of Levin's flock There were no cows with a spire blemish, not even one. And Levin now has done Jacob extremely wrong. He is broke, and so Jacob's like, I'm getting my stuff and I'm getting out of here. Come on, Leah. Come on, Rachel. He gets everything he owns, which isn't much, and he leaves. And he's going back to his homeland, and Levin finds out about it, and he says, hey, wait up, wait up, wait up. And he runs after them, and they go over 10 miles. He chases them and finally catches up to them, and Levin says, Jacob, why have you left in the night? And Jacob responds, and he says, because you have done me extremely wrong, extremely wrong. And this is what it says in Genesis 31, Genesis 31, verse 51. It says this, See these piles of stones. Levin continued, And see this monument I have set between us. They stand between us as a witness of our vows, and I will never pass your side of the stones to harm you, and you must never pass these stones to of this monument to harm me. I call on the God of our ancestors, the God of our grandfather Abraham, and the God of my grandfather Nehor to serve as a judge between us. And when I was thinking about this, I uh, came to this conclusion sometimes our family does us wrong and there can be no reconciliation between like we are best friends again i'm going to be living in the same house with you again sometimes not most of the time this isn't the case but there's a slight percentage of the time this this is the case that says hey look i'm going to build a barrier between us and i'm not going to come across this barrier because i know you will hurt me and i'm not going to pass you don't come on this side because you'll probably hurt me as well but I, do you see what it says? But I will not cross this barrier to harm you. And I will have forgiveness in my heart towards you. And as a family, I think we can have that type of mindset. When our enemies have lived in our same house, they've harmed us. We don't have to live like we're out to get them. Sometimes it's acceptable to build this wall. And say, I'm not going to pass this. I'm not going to harm you. You see what I'm saying here? You see what I'm saying here? But very few times is that the case. Very few, Most of the times it's First John 4, 2, and it says... Otherwise, next verse. I'm going to skip actually um, all my verses that I have, I'm going to come to this um, verse. Yes, I need to do that now. Last verse I want to talk about is um, actually I'm going to I'm, I'm I'm going to read them all because I think they're all being worth read. Verse the the fourth verse is this Proverbs twenty five twenty one. It says this: If your enemy is hungry, give them food to eat, and if he is thirsty, give them water to drink. To which I thought, why would you do this? Why would you give your enemy water? And then I remembered in Matthew 25, when Jesus is talking about the end time, do you remember what he says? He looks up across all these people, and he says, hey, you fed me when I was thirsty. You came to visit me in prison, and when I was naked, you clothed me. And when this is happened, the people look up back to Jesus and say, God, When did we ever see you naked or hungry or desolate or in jail or without clothes? When did we ever see you or in the hospital? When did we ever see you like this? And do you remember what Jesus says? He says this. He says, whatever you have done to my friends or your friends, you have done to me. But that's not what he says, is it? He says, whatever you have done to the least To the least of these you have done to me. To the least of these you have done to me. And that's why, that's why we got to give food to our enemies. Do right by our enemies. Job 31, 29, it says, Have I ever sinned by recognizing? This is Job 31, verse 29, 30. Have I ever sinned? By rejoicing when disaster has shrugged my enemy? Have I ever sinned by being happy that bad things have come to my enemy? And when I read that, I thought a lot of times when something bad happens to my enemy, I'm like, yeah, what you deserve coming. <laughs> Serves you right. Job said, no, I'd never sin by doing this. Last verse I want to say is 2 Kings, 2 Kings 6. 8-22 um, through 22, it says this it's about Elijah. and he looks up he looks at all of his enemies do you remember this? Elijah and his servant he looks at all of his enemies that are surrounding him and then he looks up to the hills and he says I see all my enemies that are surrounding Elisha and his servant but more than that above my enemies I see the Lord of Heaven's armies and they are surrounding the very same enemies that are surrounding me in this very moment and I believe that even though I am surrounded by my enemies. I have a God who surrounds my enemies in those very moments. <laughs> Oops. Margaret Lackey, don't forget to give. Have you ever read Psalm 23? Have you ever read Psalm 23? And in Psalm 23, here's what it says. You have prepared a table for me in the presence of my friends? No, my enemies. You have prepared a table for me. And Lord knows it was David that wrote this and not Drake. Because if Drake would have wrote it, I would have said, you have prepared a table for me in your presence. And you crush my enemies. You have made a table for me in the presence of my enemies. And why does God do this? I'm looking for a chair, but it's fine. I don't see one. There's one in there. I'm not going to get it. Why does God do this? He does this so that the enemies can see what it's like for God to prepare a table for us in the presence of a king. But how many times does this happen? Does the enemy look around the sanctuary And he's just looking for a way in. Now, I'm not talking about flesh and blood enemies no more. I am talking about the enemy. And how many times does the enemy walk around and take off his jacket and just kind of walk into a room? I think the coast is clear. Hi. Hey, Drake. Hi. How are you? I'll I'll just stay. Um, I see God has a table for you, don't he? Yeah, he does. That's a nice table you got there. What's up? Um, You mind if I, uh, I found a chair. Do you mind if I, do you mind if uh, if I eat with you? No? Okay. Good. Um, I love eating with you. Um, How are you? You doing okay now? Oh, yeah, I know you were. Um, sitting with the living water, but uh, now you're sitting with me. What's up? Is uh, your wife still getting on your nerves? Ms. Moultrie? Yeah? True. How's church I go? Good. And just like that, The enemy has pulled up a seat at your table that was only designed for you and God. And it happens like that. And so how do you know if the enemy is at your table? You know this. Number one, the enemy is at your table if you are hearing voices that say something like this. It's better at another table. It's better at another table. I like this table over here better. If you're hearing, it's better our young people in here, to be popular, to be well-liked, than to be at a table with God, the enemy is at your table. If you think that it is better at any other table than the table, the enemy is at your table because God's not telling you this. Second thing is that you are not going to make it. If you're hearing you are not going to make it, the enemy has pulled up a table. You will never make it through this. But how do you know if the enemy is saying that? If someone comes to you, Mr. Hutch, and says, Mr. Hutch, how's work going? And you say, I don't know. I just don't know if I'm going to get through. I don't know if I can make it through the day. I don't know. You will respond to who's ever sitting at your table. And so if you look at your communication and that's what you're saying, then the enemy has pulled up a seat and he is telling you you're not going to make it. And you're just letting that rerun and rerun and rerun. The at your table if you're hearing you're not good enough. You never were good enough. You are a failure. Lastly, if you hear in your voice, everyone hates me, the enemy has pulled up a seat at your table. Tell me you're thinking. Like a little dove. Mr. Randy, do you hate me? Okay. Miss Crystal, you hate me. She hates me, I knew it. Mr. Sammy, you don't hate me, do you? And to where you're thinking everybody else hates you and is against you. And so you walk into work and the devil has been saying, Hey, um, um, Linda doesn't like you, and you walk into work and you say, Hey, Linda, how are you? And she doesn't look up from her desk or her computer and you say, Oh my goodness, Linda really does hate me. Never mind the fact that she's just working on a spreadsheet that has to be turned in my nine. She doesn't hate you, but if you think everybody's out against you, the enemy is sitting at your table. And I've come to tell you this today. I've come to tell you this today. Is that you control who sits at your table. And so if you see the devil working, say, no, not today, Satan. I control who sits at my table and this table was designed for me and my maker and that's it and you're not sitting here so if I hear these thoughts you're out buddy you're gone you're not sitting and getting comfortable at my table because here's what Micah 7:8 says it says this do not gloat over me my enemies because even though even though I have fallen I will rise again and that's all that I'm saying today is that even though we have enemies surrounding us, even though that we do fall, even though we have an enemy that pulls up a seat at our table, we can have the confidence in God to say, do not gloat over me, my enemies, because even though I am down in this hole, even though I have fallen, I serve a God who is at my table, and he was down in a hole, but as just as he rose from his grave, my and I will have life to the full. God, thank you for everything that you have given us. Thank you for letting us be in this moment. God, I pray that you have spoken through me. God, I pray that you will speak to them. God, I pray as we have this time of response, I pray that people would come, that people would pray because, God, we have people that are opposing us, but more than that, we have an enemy that is surrounding us in this very moment, but God, I pray by the power of your spirit, then we will start removing some chairs at our table because our table is only for me and you. God, in your name I pray. Amen and amen.